Minds. And here is your host, Gary Cacciolio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show who are Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Nizaida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. And you can find her at MsAida.com. M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A dot com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. She's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Alan Quintel. And Questel. Is, oh, Questel. That's okay. I'm used to that. It's okay. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> He is here to talk about kindness. Uh, so thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. So I saw that you wrote your book is, you know, you have um, random crossed out and intentional written over it. What is the reason for that? Well, I think we, we all, many of us have seen the bumper sticker practice random acts of kindness, which I had on one of my cars years ago. I always liked. But then I thought, it makes much more sense to do things with more intention. And, and kindness is, is an act that it happens more randomly. Once in a while, people do it intentionally. But I think kindness is a skill that we need to practice. So we need some intention behind it. Hmm. So what are the benefits of kindness? I mean, obviously, you know, I've seen the Dalai Lama and read a lot of his books, and he's all about kindness. If everybody was kind to each other, obviously this would be the perfect world to live in. You know, it would be nirvana. Yeah. That doesn't happen. No. Why do you think that doesn't happen? Oh, well, that's a philosophical question that, that I'm not sure anyone has an answer to. Um, other than maybe we're put here to try to figure this out and to try to make more sense out of it. And I, I can't think of, I can only think of two things that are intrinsically fundamental to all of us as human beings. And, and one of them is both our capacity and our need to like ourselves more. And, 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 and the second thing is kindness, which both of these things are really very much related. And I think that, you know, the, the experiences that we've all had of dealing with someone who's unkind, mm -hmm. and I include in that our own actions as well, right. that we, we, we know that's the comparison to what we experience when someone is kind or we're kind to someone. And I think that that opens a doorway to ourself that if we practice it, if we really engage in it intentionally, that it leads to a happier life. I can't think of anything more basic than that. Hmm. Not much different than what the Buddha said, I think. You know, as far as you know, life has suffering and, you know, <clears throat> you know, our job is to 
eliminate that suffering, essentially. Or, or not at least eliminate it, but at least learn to navigate it and mm-hmm. find a way to still be good to each other and find ways to still be happy despite the obstacle. Yeah. And, and, and suffering is something I think we all experience. I, I don't know anyone who's free from that. <laughs> I, 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 wonder, I wonder if we asked the Dalai Lama, we said, Your Holiness, are, are you suffering at all? I imagine he would say, of course I suffer. <laughs> I'm a human being, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's our nature, it's our plight, it seems to be. And uh, to move beyond that, kindness is, is one of the strongest roads to move past that, I think. I think so. I can tell you an, an interesting thing of suffering. Okay. I, I call it suffering. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this book, and there were two aspects of suffering to it. One was when I got to the part about being kind to oneself, I suffered. I actually stopped writing the book for five years because I realized I needed to learn how to be kinder to myself. Mm-hmm. I thought I had some approximation of it, but really? Hmm. I don't think I was that good at it. And then the second thing, which really was a surprise for me. So I can say with, with some confidence that all the things that I write about in the book, I feel that I can do them. I have some skill and ability to access them and to develop them. But then I discovered that in writing the book, the next step for me to be kinder is like so far away, I wonder if I'll ever make it in my lifetime. So I presented, I've created a challenge for myself that I was not intended. So suffering is a strong word, but I feel challenged for sure. Mm. Interesting. Why is it so hard to be kind to yourself? That's a good question. Uh, you know, the, there's the f- famous saying from Jesus, do unto others as you would do mm-hmm. unto, unto yourself. And what my teacher, one of my teachers, Moshe Feldenkrais, he flipped it around and he said, do unto yourself as you would do unto others. And that's kind of an interesting take on it that, yeah, why is it hard to be kind to ourselves? Well, I haven't been, I teach all over the world and I, I haven't been to a culture where this isn't an issue that we don't feel worthy, our upbringings, and this is not to, to, to make any judgments on our parents. I think our parents all did the best they could with the information they had at the time. And yet, we live in a world that's so full of comparison. And now, you know, with the internet and everything, you just, it's in our face all the time. That, that we feel that we need to be better and we compare ourselves to others and our values are not based, they're based on external orientations. So I think that that's one of the biggest causes of it. And I think the act of kindness is something that can only be generated internally. No, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit there. I think maybe in the beginning we need to to, to, to um, create kindness from an idea, from our thought, and maybe the feelings aren't fully there yet, but if we do the act of it again and again and again, I think the feelings come along like that. Huh. 
So, so they kind of feed each other. The being kind oh. to others feeds the being kind to yourself. Being kind to yourself feeds to being kind to others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mentioned that the two fundamental things that I'm interested in, kindness and liking ourselves more. And this idea of liking ourselves more, um, it came to me kind of through a back door. I didn't expect it. Um, well, I can ask, you know, I ask the question when I teach always. I help people like themselves more. Is there anyone here who doesn't want to like themselves more? And I always get this kind of sheepish, sheepish smile. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like one woman in Norway once said, I already like myself. And I said, that's great. But would you like to like yourself more? And she went, okay. You know, it was, kind of a, weird, it was a little weird. But I've never met anyone who doesn't want to like themselves more. But how do we go about liking ourselves more? Well, generally, it's like I said before, it's externally generated. So people do it. By buying, and, and these ways are useful. They're not bad in any way of buying ourselves things, of getting a new haircut, new clothes, getting a new partner, getting a new job. And all of these things, at least for some moments, we like ourselves more. But mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if, if, if you've ever had the experience of buying a new car. Yeah. And you drive around and you feel pretty great. And you see all the older models and you kind of go, ha ha, I've got the new one, right? And then as a year goes by and all of a sudden you see the new model. And all of a sudden you're kind of like, oh, I'm not as happy. I'm not as satisfied anymore. <laughs> I want the newer car, which is kind of great. You know, I, I traveled a lot through Asia and, and like I was in India. And, and when I came back home, I rented a car. And m m compared to what I was riding in in India, this car in the States, it had a horn that worked and a radio <laughs> and turn signals. And I became so grateful for like just this simple thing like this. Right. So b back to the idea of liking ourselves more, how do we generate it? Uh, and in, in my work as a Feldenkrais practitioner and trainer, I work with people through movement. Mm -hmm. And there are different, there are two modalities within my work and in the classes that I teach. One of the things that I emphasize is that you move in a way that you like the way it feels. And that's an unusual concept for people. It's in my book, too. I talk about that in terms of liking yourself more and finding more pleasure. And you just think of it. If you get up and just walk to get a cup of tea, to have the, the awareness, the consciousness to say, I'm going to walk over there in a way that I like the way it feels. And I've found, both for myself and many of my students as well, that this is not attached to any external outcome. It's something I generate within myself. And when, when people do it, it's kind of like going in through the back door of themselves, and it grows and develops until one day it feels like, you know, I think I like myself more. The training programs I run are four years long, and um, <clears throat> I, the, one of the first times this happened, and it's happened many times, fortunately, when I was graduating a group, and uh, you know, I'd call their name, and they'd come up and get their certificate, and I'd give them a hug, and when I would hug them, they'd whisper in my ear, I like myself more. And I thought, wow, that made everything I did worthwhile. 
And I also want to be clear that it's not like a, a place that you arrive in and that's it. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning how to like myself more. And the, like I said, the challenges that I run into are greater than, than they were years ago. And so this idea of liking ourselves more, one way, and this is where one of the reasons I wrote the book, was I found that every time I do an act of kindness, I like myself more. I feel better about myself. And not to pat myself on the back and just start giving things away so I can say I like myself. It's that, and it's kind of shocking to me actually sometimes, when I do something and I go, wow, that actually helps my self-image. Not only it helps the person I'm giving to or helping in some way, but it, that it's something that is very alive in me, I would say. Mm. And that's what I think can be possible for everybody. I, I agree. I agree. And I think you mentioned there's two really important things that always stick out to me. One is, you know, this idea of, of attention, you know, which is, intention to me means, um, you know, rather than letting my mind do what it wants, I'm going to use my mind to do what I want, you know, more yeah. focused with my will. Mm -hmm. And then like when you mentioned something simple, like, getting up from your desk every day and going to the bathroom, like the way you walk to the bathroom, maybe it doesn't really make a difference, but really is setting the difference or a change in your neural pathways right. is saying, okay, I have an opportunity here to direct my will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, we're talking about attention. We're talking about intention and we're talking about awareness. And, and this is the, the tricky part for me that I'm still, I, I still think about, because I don't think, I, th I understand it in myself, I'm trying to help others understand it, which is that moment when you get up to go to the bathroom or get a cup of tea, is to have, it's such a small window to go, mm -hmm. oh, I need to pay attention to this, right? And that window, it's like, look, I meditated religiously for many, many, many years. And the biggest challenge was the moment when I woke up. Because I would wake up and go sit on my cushion and that was it. And it would have been so easy to go, if I dared to ask the question, do I want to meditate this morning? Bing, I'd be back in bed. I wouldn't get up. I was cozy. I was warm. I'm not getting up to do that in meditation is is an unpredictable challenge it could be easy it could be difficult and I, and i realized that that window to do something is is so infinitesimally small and that we cannot listen to our feelings at that moment there there needs to be you use the word will and i think there's a will or an intention to say do it you know and and it's like the nike expression of just do it Mm -hmm. And that, that, when I hear the Nike expression, I hear it with a bit too much force, mm -hmm. like it's, it's ignoring ourselves. So how do we do right. something without ignoring ourselves, but just do it, mm -hmm. you know? And that's, that's the, the challenge. And look, you know, I, I, I posed the question earlier when I talked to a group, of, does anyone here not want to like themselves more? And they all laugh. And if I stop 20 people on the street, just randomly, and I said, would you like to like yourself more? I think everyone would say yes. 
But if I stopped 20 people on the street and I said, would you like more awareness? Some of them would go, huh? (laughs) You know, it's like it wasn't a consideration for them. And so there's different degrees of self-reflection. And I think awareness is a pretty high self-degree. Liking ourselves more? I mean, look, we live in a culture that, I mean, the like button, you know, it's just a crazy-making thing. Like, I have a lot of friends on Facebook. I don't know most of them, you know. (laughs) It's just the nature of Facebook, right? And when my one year my birthday came around, and so many people wished me happy birthday, and I was kind of like, ooh, this felt, it felt nice. Mm -hmm. Of course it felt nice, right? And then the next year... Like two days before my birthday, I started worrying. What if no one wishes me a happy birthday this year? And all of a sudden, this was a measure of who I am and how I feel about myself. And yeah, there were even more people. This year, I had a big birthday. And you know what? I never even counted how many people wished me a happy birthday. I thought, why am I measuring myself with that? Again, that's an external measure of ourselves. Mm. That's not internally generated it's it's a it's a so that's a that's part of our suffering you know the challenging time that we live in i think Mm -hmm. is uh, and i don't know that it was any better before you know i mean before the internet we still suffered we still didn't like ourselves you know that was uh i i um another one of my teachers a man named jerzy gutowski who was a director of a theater company in Poland and well known for his uh, really avant-garde exploration of the theater. And um, I, I was fortunate to work with him when I was very young, starting when I was 20. And the last time I saw him was in 1991. And I was invited to a screening of, I lived in New York back then, a, a screening of a film he did about ancient song. It was really interesting. It's disappeared, unfortunately. And um, I went up to him, and, and here are all these top people in the theater in New York, and I said, Jerzy, I haven't seen you in a few years. I wonder, could we meet? I'd like to talk with you. And he said, I'm leaving in three days. And I said, me too. I was leaving New York. I was traveling for a while. And he said, okay, let's have dinner tomorrow night. And we had dinner, and we're talking about different things. And I said, so I have a question. Uh, in my work as a Feldenkrais practitioner, I'm now an assistant trainer to train people. And I feel like I'm, I'm becoming the teacher, and I'm still looking for a teacher for myself, which is still true today. And, and I said, I'm trying to find my own voice. And he said, how did Dr. Feldenkrais find his own voice? And I said, through his own problems, through his, his infirmity, his bad knees. And he kind of looked at me and went, hmm. And I went, hmm, what's my infirmity? Is it, is it my size? I'm on, on the small side. And I said, no, I have a distorted image of that. Is it my humor? No, that's just the compulsion that I have. Uh, and for years, this question would drift up in the background. What's my infirmity? And after a number of years of teaching this idea of liking oneself more, one day this question came up and I was like, Oh my God, I didn't like myself. And, and that kind of led me full circle into where I am now, 
you know, and, and do I like myself? Most of the time. But I'm still learning, you know. It's, uh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Like, two things. One is the, that intentionally, you mentioned you gave me the waking up in the morning to go meditate in the hours, yeah. which I've struggled with myself. Sometimes yeah. I do just go back to bed. <laughs> right, right. You know, but, you know, it, it's that gap, though. There's like this gap in awareness where we have a chance to make a decision. It's very small, you know, right. and we have to pay a lot of attention to, to find it. And, yeah. and, and I think, you know, in a lot of systems, that are out there, you know, that help people manifest better lives or like themselves or whatever it is, however, they're, yeah. they're packaging the same thing, really. Right. Yeah. Um, miss that, like, you know, that the awareness, the amount of awareness that it takes to, to get into those, to recognize those opportunities, yeah. you know, and are very easy to miss. I'm sure I miss millions of them every single day. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And I think there's two aspects of it. There's one that of having the, of like the, the decision I make to meditate every day. I'm going to meditate every day, right? And then it's like that moment comes and that's a dangerous moment, that little window. It's like if I start to question it in any way. And so that's the moment where we need to act intentionally. And, and I use those words very specifically. So like when I write about kindness, I talk about it as an action. And, and most people see it as a result, you know, it's, but it's an action and it needs to be practiced, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you practice something? Well, we have to train ourselves to do it, you know. And, and then if we don't do it, we have to train ourselves to not be hard on ourselves, because that's the other flip side of it, that I didn't meditate, oh, I should have meditated, <laughs> and I go through all that noise like that, you know, and things like that. And then it's like, well, this doesn't help me like myself, and it doesn't help the process of meditation. I had, I had, I had one meditation teacher, I can't remember his name, but he kind of laid out all of the, 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 the what, what's the word, the pitfalls that happen when we go to meditate. But he made them all acceptable. He, he didn't make it like a forceful, you gotta do this or something like that. He made it something that was like, oh, this is part of the human experience when they start to meditate. And I have friends who, who puzzle me, who they just love to meditate. <laughs> they're like, they're just like, so, and I'm like, oh, I would look at them longingly and go, oh, I wish I could, uh, you know, I, I I, like I said, I probably meditated every day for 16 years. Every day, except when I was getting divorced. That was a more challenging time. I know, you know? about that time. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not so easy. You don't want your attention and your mind at that point, no. you know. Um, and, and I can't say after all those years that it got easier, but I could do it. And, and I did learn things about myself, you know, and doing something like that. And I still do. But, um, yeah, it's that window is, is, is the, that seems to be the key to doing so many things. And look, in the same way, what, what, you know, in each chapter of my book, whatever I talk about, I give people concrete things that they can do. Exercise, right? But things you can do in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. 
not something so big that you have to do it. You know, here's a good example from the book. So, and, and, um, and I think this relates to liking ourselves more. So let's say someone wanted to meditate every day. I think that's a big demand. I, I think it's almost too big. Unless you, you, you have such strong willpower, you're so good at making yourself do things. But mm-hmm. even then, then you're dealing with uh, the kind of negative aspects of that too. So when I was 19, I moved out of my parents' house. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, <laughs> I realized I didn't do anything well. That was my self-image. That I was at nineteen a complete that failure. Like me too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, you know what? When I tell the story, most people agree. They go, "Well, yeah, that resonates with me," you know. And and I and I don't know where it came from, but I had the idea: I'm going to learn to do one thing well. And I I I inadvertently, fortunately, picked something that wasn't as grand as meditating because that's I didn't even have the thought of that. And what I chose, what I decided was, I don't brush my teeth well. I'm going to learn to brush my teeth well. Now, the interesting thing about that is that, yeah, I, I do it twice. I have the opportunity to do it twice a day, right? And if I don't do it, no one knows. Maybe the dentist, you know? <laughs> Maybe my breath, I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. It could be a lot of things. But in fact, no one would know if I didn't succeed or do that. And that's the kind of thing we need to choose to develop ourselves. Something that's, that's not a risk. Something that's not, we're not telling people about. You know how many people say to people, oh, I've started meditating. I've had so many people tell me that. And then, you know, two months later, I said, oh, how's your meditation? Oh, I stopped doing it, you know. <laughs> And then they feel bad that I asked, and they, they feel bad. So a little thing like that, I think that's part of understanding the doorway of acting in a better way. Mm-hmm. But then, here's the dilemma. So I thought I was brushing my teeth well for years, right? And then I got an electric toothbrush that beeped every 30 seconds, so I would get all four quadrants of my mouth. I had no idea how long 30 seconds was. <laughs> Right, it was like that. The timer's broken. It should have gone off by now. And it's like that was a whole another step of lear- learning how to brush my teeth. You know, in meditation, I had a, I would set my watch so I would have a timer go off or something. I don't think I very often sit, wanted to sit past that. You know, so um, something small, something really small that's accessible that can be your secret. And that you can practice practicing. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're talking about, I think. Yeah. And kindness is, you know, I mean, it involves so many different things from listening to generosity to, 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 um, being supportive. And then when I, when I talk about these things, I'm talking not just to others, but to ourselves too. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it'll keep us busy the rest of our lives, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. yeah you know, 
Yeah, one of the things is, you know, is like when we have that opportunity to make those decisions, you know, at that point, though, it's like I started doing it because I've studied, obviously, Buddhism. It's like, well, mm-hmm. who am I at this moment? At that, at that moment of clarity, I'm kind of putting everything else aside. That's why I'm having that moment. You know, there's, right. there's not so much a me or an ego involved. Right. Yeah. Well, I've had moments where, where I've been meditating where it's kind of like I'm sitting and all of a sudden I have the, the realization that my, my mind has been empty. I haven't had any thoughts. And, and, but the minute I think that, that's the thought. Had the thought, yeah. And I'm like, oh, gee, now I'm back looping into my thoughts again and stuff like that. I had an, another experience that speaks to this in some way. I was coming back from Europe. I've been teaching a lot, and I was on the plane, and I started, like, in a week I had to go out again to teach somewhere. And I started thinking about that, and I got completely overwhelmed. And then the window opened for me. I had this thought. I caught it with some awareness, which was, is this a good time to be thinking about this? And the answer was, no. You're on a plane. There's nothing you can do. You don't have materials with you. You can't study it. I mean, it's kind of like, this is a really bad idea. And I can't tell you, like, I just settled after that for about an hour. And then an hour later, my mind took off again, and I was... And then I said again, is this a good time to be thinking about this? No. And as a matter of fact, I've discovered that every time I ask myself that question, the answer is always no. <laughs> that, that if that question comes up, I'm in a place where like, I'm too tired, I don't have access to stuff, I don't need to do this right now. You know, I mean, it's like it's like the pressure that we put on ourselves, and uh, so yeah, that's that's the same idea. So that's that's one of the mantras in the book. Actually, is this a good time to be thinking about? That's a good this? one. I like that one. And then, then I have two others that uh, they came from a therapist I worked with, and uh, these, these are great ones too. I think, and again, it it in it, it it you have to have the moment of catching ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the other one is, I'm driving around in a bad neighborhood. I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's <Right>? a good one. <laughs> that's a good one, too. And because that's the looping that we all do, right, about the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the looping is absolutely impossible to do anything about. So the mantra for that one is, I'm at a dead end. <laughs> and that, that one's useful, for, for me at least, like, when I when I'm I'm imagining a conversation with someone, mm-hmm. you know, some conflict or something, and 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 then I'm like, I'm not talking to the person that's in my head. Yeah. You know, I'm just fantasizing about all the things that could go on, and I go, oh, I'm at a dead end, and and you know, again, that's the moment of catching myself, ourselves, and then we can stop for a little bit, and of course, it comes back again. And so, you know, the, the, for me, the, the, the training for that is not eliminating it. I think that's a mistaken idea. But how long do I spend there? Hmm. And I think that's true with pretty much every negative thought that, that we have. I, so, you know, I, I heard a definition of enlightenment years ago that I really liked. It said, 
you get enlightened. And then you get enlightened again. Mm -hmm. And then you get enlightened again. So it was kind of saying, like, this is not a constant state. Right. You know, you have moments, right? And so if I can shorten the period of time I spend not liking myself, not being kind, suffering, that's that's the path to enlightenment, I think. That, as I, Who knows? I don't know. What do I know, you know? But it's something that it makes my everyday life a little bit happier. Mm -hmm. I'm not staying in that, those places like right. that. Yeah. What I like about your mantras are, and, and this is one of the things I think that a lot of people get stuck with, and I do too, is the more I try to fight that kind of thinking, it's like I'm, it, it, does, it creates the loop even stronger. It, gets, it builds right. up momentum if I'm fighting it with my, you know, like, my own negativity. Like, right, I'm mad at myself right. for this. Now I'm going to fight with this right. negative right. thought. Where if it's just acknowledging it and be like, all right, I'm having this thought. It's not really going to take me to where I want to go. Right. What am I going to do with it? Like, what are my choices right. here? Right. Yeah. What are my choices? And that's uh, that's probably one of the biggest things is like, can it become more of a choice for ourselves like that? You know? And... You know, I, I think when I was younger, I was quite, what's the word? I want to use the word agitated, you know? Really, that, that my internal drive was so quick and all over the place and stuff. And, and now, you know, what people will say to me, you seem so calm, and I chuckle inside. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, maybe, I, mean, I guess I'm calm. Or people say... Like I had one friend once who said, you seem really different. Oh, you've been meditating. And I'm like, well, I, I don't think that's what made me different. I, I don't know what made me different, but I couldn't pin it on something. Mm -hmm. And um, and yet, m m my I know my internal speed and thoughts and things like that. And like I, like I started saying before, I think I'm able to spend less time around them, you know. But all of this is really, I, I mean, look, you're saying you've experienced this, I've experienced this. Do I know someone who hasn't experienced it? I don't think so. I think, you know, this is like a human condition and stuff. And yet, the... How, what's the way out of it? That's my question. And of course, like you mentioned before, there's many ways out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's different kinds of meditation, different practices, anything that would... And I think they're all great. Mm -hmm. Me right? too. You know, it's like... this, this uh, And yet, I keep... All of them have an underlying thing about liking ourselves. I think that's the result that, that, that we're looking for. And that, that may look different to different people, but I think that, you know, if, if, if I had to define, which I haven't thought about till right now, what does it mean to like yourself more? Hmm. I don't, you know, it's kind of like, well, that, that, yeah, I'm more accepting of myself. I'm more compassionate with myself. I'm, uh, less, tough on myself when mm -hmm. I don't do something well, you know, that that's a, that's a life that, 
<coughs> excuse me, um, that makes our lives worthwhile. Mm. And that means that I can like myself and have nothing. You know, I don't need that new car. I don't need the haircut. It's like, oh, this is what I'm left with. You know, many years ago, the story I told about Kurtovsky in 1991, so I was about to leave for about eight months traveling through Australia and Southeast Asia, India, Nepal, and uh, I was teaching a lot in Australia and New Zealand. And so my, my teaching had certainly my self-image associated with it, mm-hmm. my ego, and not, I don't think, I think in a decent way, nothing overstated. And then I got to Bali, <clears throat> and I would meet people, Balinese people, oh, what do you do? And I would talk about, I teach the Feldenkrais method. And they would <laughs> smile at me, and I realized no one had a clue what it was. Not a clue. And nor, even when I explained it, it was like, oh, okay, that's nice. But they were out in the fields, you know? I mean, it was like, this had no impact. And it was such a shock to me to realize that who I thought I was was not so important. You know, it was like, oh, who, who am I really then, you know, in that moment? that what? And then I thought, well, now I think, well, if who I am is just a, a person who's looking to be kinder to others and help them be kind to themselves, that everyone understands, mm-hmm. you know. And my work as, as a Feldenkrais practitioner, when I graduated, I studied with Dr. Feldenkrais. There were 300 of us in the world. And now there are maybe seven or 8,000, you know. So it's still not, it's a niche thing and it's great and it works and helps people. But, you know, if I'm, I would say back then, if, if I, someone said, what do you do? I'd say, I teach the Feldenkrais method. And people would say, oh, oh, is, is that a religion? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, no, there's no T at the end. And now when I say it, and, and no one knew what it was. This is back in the 80s. And now when I say it, I guess about half the time people say, oh, I've heard of that. You know, once I was on a plane for a long flight to Australia, and the guy next to me says, what do you do? And I said, I teach the Feldenkrais method. And he sat up straight. Because it's a lot about movement. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, oh, don't do that. This is a long flight. You'll be miserable. <laughs> you know, he was trying to impress me with how he moved. And it's like, well, you, you know, the, the, there's another part I talk about in the book where, where uh, there was this exercise that, um, it was like this creative self-growth workshop that my acting teacher put together. It was a retreat for seven days, five to seven days, I can't remember. And um, we had to write down who we were on little pieces of paper. And I think there were 10 pieces of paper. So I wrote, uh, you know, friend, boyfriend, stepfather, uh, actor, carpenter, that was how I made money. And I put down all the roles that I had in my life. And then we had to put them in order. The top one was the one you were willing to get rid of the most. So, of course, Carpenter was there. I didn't like doing that work. I was Mm -hmm. good at it, but I got rid of that. And then I got rid of that one and the next one and the next one. And it surprised me that what I ended up with was friend. And I think, you know, friend is a... 
a good friend is, 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 is something that takes a lot of work, you know. And, it, and it's about being kind to the other person. And a friend, I think, is someone who'll be honest with you, tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth truth's not the, the good word, because who knows what that means. But will tell you something. Honest that perspective. May be hard, yeah, a perspective that may be hard to say. And that's kind of like tough love, mm-hmm. you know. Like kindness is tough love, too, to be able to say, that's, that's, uh, this is not an easy thing to say. And I, I've, I've been fortunate and not happy about all the times that I had to give tough love. Because you know, it's not easy. It's like easier to just pull away, you know, to pretend it's not there. I, uh, I had a student in one training who was making up time from another program and she was there for a month. And then she was there again the next year from, I said, how much time are you making up? And she said, oh, three months. I said, you should have transferred here. And then towards the end of the, it was like the third year of four years, and, and she had the chance to practice with me and get feedback. And I was giving her feedback, and she, she took the feedback well, but and at this point, after this segment, when it was over, she would graduate. And I said to her a few days later, can we have a coffee? Can we have a talk? And, and she kind of looked at me and she said, are you going to drop a bomb on me? I said, no, no, I wouldn't do that. Don't worry about that. And I sat down with her and I said, look, I don't think you're ready to graduate. And it's kind of not my decision. It's the educational director in your training. And um, she said, well, are you going to tell him? I said, he, he hasn't even called me, you know, I'm not even sure if it's my job to tell him. I said, look, I don't want to stop you from graduating. That's not my role here. But I want you to have some honest feedback about where you are in the work. And she was, she was at first very defensive and angry with me, and I, I, I knew that was coming. It wasn't pleasant. And, and I said to her, I said, but I have a, rather than saying, you can't graduate, I have a recommendation. I said, for the next two years, practice a lot, but don't charge anybody. Stay a student for two years. Go to other trainings and visit them and make up, you know, do time there to learn. And I had another program. This was in Adelaide. I had another one in Melbourne. And she started coming to that. And a year later, she said, I'm so thankful for your honesty for telling me that because if not, she would have graduated and then felt like, what am I doing? I don't understand it. And she would have stopped. And, but she actually continued. But that was not easy to do, you know, to, to take that responsibility. And I wasn't her friend, but I acted like a friend. Mm. You know? So. Yeah, there's nothing more valuable than being able to go to somebody. <clears throat> outside of ourselves and talk to them about something and then get their feedback because I'm not necessarily the best judge of myself because I'm perceiving things from this internal outward way right? and I need that outside looking at me perspective mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, I think we all need that, you know. And, and I think that, you know, an approximation of that, what if I don't, I think, what was that movie with Tom Hanks where he was stranded on an island and Castaway. he had a soccer ball. Yeah. yeah, 
you know, like that was his friend. But <laughs> I think he worked out a lot of stuff with that friend, you know. If you're alone enough, and maybe that's the point of meditation, if you're with yourself enough, that you start to be able to to um, be a better friend to yourself. And it requires a, a depth of honesty to do something like that. And And again, you know, I keep coming back to not to push a point, but I'm going to push the point about liking ourselves more, right? About being kind. That that these ideas are the basis for all the things that we're talking about. And when I say the basis, I mean to have concrete practices that we can do around it is the basis for it. And, you, you know, the, the, it's kind of like Sometimes I'm working with a student and, and I'm, I'm, I'm showing them something and then I'll say, well, how, how long do you think it'll take for you to learn this? And they'll say, well, three weeks. And I laugh. I go, huh, three weeks? In three weeks you're going to look at it and go, damn, I still can't do it. I, I said, a realistic perspective, I think, to ch- the, of most of the things that I'm asking them to, to learn more about, get better at, is a year and a half to two years. And they always go, oh my God, that's crazy. And I go, well, if you think about it, if you said, and that's if you practice a lot. That's not just waiting a year and a half. If you practice something a lot. If you think three weeks or a month or six months and you don't succeed, then you feel like a failure. But if you think a year and a half, two years, after six months, you go, ooh, I have another year. I have more time. And after a year, you go, ooh, I have another six months, right? And after a year and a half, you go, but by a year and a half, two years, something's usually changed, right? At least, at least it's changed enough to feel like, well, I'm no longer there. I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm not in the same place when I started. And so that perspective like that is, is important as well. You know, because look, we live in a time where everything is expected to happen so fast. And, and, and you know what? I, th- that's in my nature. Like, I'm someone who, I answer emails usually that day, at the latest three days later. You know, my idea of procrastinating is getting it done at the deadline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I know what I can do, but I also know that my expectation of myself and sometimes when I work with people, I, I, like in a real work situation, not, not teaching, not learning, that I expect that. I want a quick response on things, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I don't, you know what I've learned to do if someone doesn't respond to an email? Instead of saying, you didn't respond to my email, call them or ranting on them or something like that, I forward them the last email and I say, did you get this? And that gives them the chance to say, no, I didn't, or, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't get, you know, I didn't get back to you like that. But in ourselves, we need time. Hmm. We need time. Maybe that's where the idea of reading... Maybe that's where the idea of reincarnation came from. Yeah, that's a tri- yeah, I was yeah. going to say, that's a tricky one because we're only allotted a certain amount of time. None of us know how much time that is. And right. I know for me, I didn't even start looking at these things until later in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't look at it when we're younger because we think, we don't think about that. You know? I mean, 
And some like this is not such a kind story, but it's kind of funny. Um, my dad, he was in his seventies, I guess, and one of his good friends had, was driving to his into his house, had a stroke, crashed into the garage, and died. And my dad was really upset. And I said to him, you know, I was, you know talking with him about it, trying to help him feel better. I said, so, uh, do, do you ever think about dying? And he went, nope. And I was kind of surprised. And I said, really? Nope. And, and, and it was like, it was like just shutting me down, you know? And, and I went, well, that's sort of puzzle because I think about it because I think about, if I think about dying, then it changes the way that I live. And, and, and he, I said, so you really never think about it? And he said, nope. And I said, well, maybe that's a good thing. You're probably a lot closer to it than I am, you know. And it was like, that wasn't the kind moment, but because <laughs> we think of dying as something old, right? But like, I have the, I have, in the past year, I have one good friend whose son passed away from COVID. And that's such a tragic thing because it's so out of the order of what we expect. Mm -hmm. And then recently, my best friend passed away. Oh, sorry. But he died so well. Hmm. This guy had written 40 books, and he finished three more in the four months that he found he was dying. And I got to visit him, which was great. And it's kind of like, it's the reality, you know? It's like, we're not going to be here forever, <clears throat> so what can we do now? And, you know, I, I always hear these stories. I mean, we've all heard them, I think, of the person who's on their deathbed, and they're regretful for all the things they didn't do, you know, or wish they had done, right? And I think that's a, that's a sad moment for people, you know, to look back and go, oh, I wish I would have done more, you know, and did I do enough? And uh, it's, again, it adds to our suffering, but the worst moment, if you're leaving, this plane, you know, and, and, and you have those thoughts, it's like, well, you know, if you believe in reincarnation, you better get to work next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot. It's, um, you know, these realizations, like, like, um, I mean, like one of the things that you're talking about your dad, I'm like thinking like, man, I guess your dad never run read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Like people would think the book is about dying, but really what it's talking about is how are we going to live? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But look, you know, so it, that kind of begs another question. I mean, I, my father, I love my father, and uh, he, he, was, he was one of those absent fathers. As a matter of fact, I told you the impetus for the book was um, this idea of liking oneself more. Mm-hmm. But actually, the actual sitting down to write it came from my father. And it was really unexpected. Um, so my father was one of those kind of absent fathers from the 1950s. And he was a nice guy. He had a great sense of humor. But he couldn't talk about it. Like if I said, oh, I'm feeling depressed. He'd, oh, don't feel that way. Boom, we'll put on the TV. You know, I mean, he would just avoid any of those conversations. And later in life, he first he ran out of money, and my brother and I had to support him. And fortunately, we could help. 
you know. So, but I, I can't say I was happy about it. I used to joke. I used to say, "That's my Porsche every month." You know, I could rent, a, I could lease a Porsche for that amount of money. You know, and uh, and then he got dementia, and we finally had to put him in a home, and it was. <clears throat> he was with his wife in Florida, and we found a home. It was pretty nice, actually, you know, as, as they go. And and then I thought, if summer's coming, everyone in Florida is going to go back to New York. He's going to be alone, and no one is going to visit him. So I got it in my head to call him every day. I don't know where I got that idea. And I started, you know, we would talk for three, five minutes maybe, you know. And later on, as his dementia increased, he would talk gibberish. He always knew who I was, though, you know. And I, 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 um, I, I learned how to practice something quite strongly, you know. And as a matter of fact, if I went to a meditation retreat... I felt so guilty because I couldn't call him mm. on those days, you know, just five days. But I wanted to, to, to have contact with him like that. And that became, you know, a chapter in the book of five minutes a day to give someone your attention five minutes a day. And you know what? It is not easy. That phone call made it easier. I would try to, when, when I had a dog... I would I would play with the idea and say, I'm going to give you five minutes of attention. And in three minutes, I'd be on the back at my computer and doing stuff. And he was fine. He didn't have a watch back then. So, you know, I didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> he knew what dinner time was. Though. He didn't have a watch in some way, you know. But, um, and and I, I started telling the story, but, oh, it, it was about... How long are we going to be here? How we live, right? And 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 it's like, what do we want to do? You know, I have now, I have two people in my life, but I've had others at different times who are going through difficult times, and and I, I call them once a month. I, I I really go out of my way to call them, and that's that other window. Do I feel like calling? Nah, not now. Call them. Just do it, you know, make that happen like that. Mm -hmm. But we have to train ourselves gently at the beginning to do stuff like that because it, it doesn't come easily, mm. you know. It's like in the book, in the book I, I, I talk about the challenge mm -hmm. of doing stuff. But this is, this is um, not, it's not a lighthearted thing, you know. Mm. It's like going to be demanding to do it. Like I have, here's a good example of that. So I've had many of my graduates and other practitioners over the years contact me and with the same question always, which is, my practice isn't what I'd like it to be. And we'd talk and I'd say, have you tried this? Yeah, have you tried this? Yeah, have you tried this? No, I haven't tried that. Try that. So they go and try that and then they call me back two or three months later well, I've been doing that, but it still isn't what I want it to be. And I say, okay, well, we talk more, and we finally get to, have you tried this? No, I haven't. So try that. So they go back, and they try that, and then they call me three, four months later, still not what I want. And this happens usually three or four times, and like the fourth time, we're talking about over a year now, 
I get to a point where I say, have you tried this? And they go, oh, I'm not comfortable doing that. And it's really interesting. The ones who do the thing that makes them a little uncomfortable, their practice takes off. (coughs) Excuse me. And the others, it stays the same. So it takes making ourselves a little uncomfortable. You know? Like, not uncomfortable like beating myself up that I didn't meditate. It's Mm -hmm. like... I gotta, I gotta pay more attention. I gotta work with that. Hmm. I like your whole story about your dad and picking up the phone and all of that. You know, um, like like for me, you know, I recently went through a divorce and have ended up, you know, living by myself and dealing with a lot of loneliness. So one of the things I do now, though, is when I start feeling like that loneliness, I'll just call random people. Yeah. You know, Wait, but people random that, people who you, you know already, right? Yeah. Just random. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But like, I'm like, all right, I haven't heard from this person in six months or a year. Let me call them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's the action part. That's the action part. And mo- so many of us just sit back and put on Netflix, and which is a fine thing to do. I support Netflix. Um, but the action, taking action is the most important thing. You know, it's... um in, in the book, there are many things like generosity and uh, kindness. And, you know, it's like I, I put in there the dictionary definitions. Dictionary definitions are pretty interesting because they describe something from the observer's point of view, mm-hmm. not from the point of view of the action that needs to take place. <clears throat> and that, that action, of like I think what you do is great because it's taking care of yourself, Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the people are happy to hear from you if they haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah, it's a win-win. You know? Yeah, it's a win-win, you know. But it's that window, picking up the phone, you mm-hmm. know, just doing it, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. And then, like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm glad you called because like, apparently like people sometimes struggle with, like, the, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, they had, Before the phone call even happens, they have the conversation in their head and talk themselves out of it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we all do that. I, I, you know what I used to do that? This is a funny one. But when I was younger, I used to, like, see a woman who I was attracted to, and this is really kind of cuckoo stuff, I think, when I look back on it. I'd see someone I was attracted to, and I would Im- start imagining... First, just talking to her, and then I imagined dating her, and I imagined the whole relationship, and finally I'd imagine breaking up. So I never even <laughs> talked to her, right? It was like I never, it was like I kept myself sitting there paralyzed in this scared state instead of saying, I'm going to go talk to this person and find out, you know? <laughs> when I look at that, I go, and somehow I still had girlfriends. I don't know how that, that happened, but I was lucky, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. Those conversations that we have in our heads are pretty funny. <laughs> They're pretty wild. They're pretty out there, you know. And I have I have one friend who calls me, and and this friend can can really kind of go into a loop sometimes, and and I listen to what they're thinking about, and I just go, and I say to them, "This is all in your head. You're making all of this up. You have no idea. This is all made up." And I can usually calm them down a little bit, you know. And but then they, they come back, and I said, "You're back again. You're making up the story." I said, "Find out." 
you know, mm-hmm. whatever you're thinking about, go to that person and talk to them and find out. And that's the other thing. It's like one of the values that I've learned is, is that if I'm having, what, what, what are some of the possibilities? I'm having an internal conversation about uh, a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's not pleasant usually, right? <clears throat> so what are the possibilities? I can let it go. Mm-hmm. And if I can let it go, then it's really gone. But I've discovered that if, if that conversation kind of raises its little head later on, it's still in me. And I either need to learn to let it go, to work with a therapist around it, or I need to talk to that person and say, I have to have, I would like to have a conversation with you. Maybe it'll be a little awkward. I don't know. And to express my thoughts and feelings around it. And if the person says, I don't want to talk, that helps me let it go. Because I know, oh, this is a closed door now. I, there's nothing I can do about it. And ruminating about it isn't going to help me. So it's done. Usually I don't stay friends with that person though. Because if they're not, there's no willingness to engage, it's like, why would I want to be friends with someone like that? Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, yeah, so we're dealing with some, well, this being a human, poof, tough, huh? <laughs> the other yeah. thing too is like, like one of the things is where I've done this for a long time, I still do it, basing my self-worth on what other people think of me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the part of liking us. That's like the story I was telling before about my birthday wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Basically, it's like, <laughs> where does that come from? You know? And it's like, and it's it's pretty, I mean, if we look at it, at least in our culture, I can't speak for other cultures, but I think it's true in most of the cultures I've worked in, in Asia, South America, Australia, New Zealand, uh, that it seems to be true, which is um, we look outside for confirmation. And you can look at it in children, kind of developmentally. Like at a, a young child, like I just had some friends stay in my house, and they had a one-and-a-half-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. A girl's got almost five. And... The one-and-a-half-year-old, it doesn't ever occur to him, what do you think about me? He's not looking for that. I know that because he's doing whatever the hell he wants, so I'm not even a consideration, you know, (laughs) in his life, right? And and, and the the five-year-old, she's still pretty much in that state, but I could see moments where she starts to look outside for confirmation. Right, of, of who she is and how she's doing. And there's so many things written about this and different kinds of workshops and stuff about what, having, you know, what do you do with your kids and how do you respond to them and different things like that. And, but it's going to happen because the minute they're in school, they're comparing themselves, whether the it's the kids, sneakers yeah. that the other kid has or the, you know, the earbuds or the phone and stuff like that. And then it's a question that hopefully, you know, by the time someone goes through their teens, that there's a little bit more self-assuredness that, not that we don't look to others, I still look to others for confirmation, but 
I don't base all my value on that. Right. That's the tricky part. And then, when that happens, what's the result? I like myself more. Mm-hmm. You know? But that's me liking myself. That's not them liking me to like myself more. Right. Yeah, like I have certain people, I value their perspective. And yeah. then there's other people where I'm going to have I have to discard it usually. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, here's, here's a funny thing. So I mentioned at the very beginning of our talk about my humor, right? So I use humor a lot when I teach. And sometimes it's not funny, you know. And, and that's kind of a drag because then I've upset somebody. And I never know when because the boundary line I cross is invisible. And many years ago, I, 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 when I was an assistant trainer, so it was, we're talking about back in the 80s, I was working in an, a program, and there were about 80 people in it, and they all filled out evaluation forms. And two out of the 80 people wrote, he doesn't know if he wants to be a teacher or a comedian. And my first response was, well, they have no sense of humor. Ha, 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 you know. <laughs> like I could just write it off. But I didn't. I actually thought, huh, that's, that's like o- almost two, one and a half percent, one and three quarter percent or something of the people who felt that way. But that was enough for me to go, maybe that's a perspective I should examine. And so what I did was I stopped telling jokes. And then people would ask me if I was depressed. <laughs> I said, why do you think that? Well, because you don't tell jokes. And no, I'm just investigating it. And I would listen to jokes and hear them and wonder at whose expense were they and stuff like that. So I know what you're talking about because I get feedback from people that I just go, oh, this is someone who I respect greatly or something. But I've learned to like think about that thing, to go, you know, I'm going to investigate that a little bit. Maybe I go back to the people who I do trust and say, what do you think of this? Yeah, that's what and I would sometimes, do. Sometimes they say, uh, yeah, you do do that. <laughs> then you got something. <laughs> I'm like shocked. I'm like, why didn't you ever tell me that? Well, you know, there's some of the other sides of you. You know, it's not that. I said, wow, that's a big learning, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that one. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, um, like, how do you think, um, like, what's the point of it all anyway? Like, like, do you think the point is that this is going to make us happier? Is, is your goal to kind of, you know, help change people's perspectives and, and help just make the world a better place? Uh, yeah, well, I, all of that, you know, and and and, and I think that, you know, to start with the last, to make the world a better place, of course, because this world is pretty crazy right now, you know, and, and, but that's, that's too big a challenge, you know, <laughs> I mean, who's going to make, how am I going to make the world, a, as a matter of fact, there's, at the end of the book, after I've written the whole thing, and we're working on the formatting and stuff, and, and I thought, I need to add something, and it's a message from the author, and I had this idea that wouldn't it be great if there was a person we could go to, I don't mean we, you and me, I mean the world could go to, to help calm things down. Well, it's a naive idea. Who is that? That would be 
you know, if another Christ came or something. But Christ didn't do so well either. No. You know, the, yeah, <laughs> it ended you know, bad for so, him. <laughs> yeah, it ended bad for him. You know, and um, uh, so it's like I thought, well, that's not possible. And then I got this clever idea. And I'm always suspicious of my own clever ideas. Clever is a funny thing. Which was, what if there was, we took like the Dalai Lama and the Pope and a great rabbi and a great imam and we had them kind of help the world. And then I just discovered there's hundreds of other religions who are going to be cut out of this. So you can't pick four religions and ignore the rest. Well, that's a crazy idea. And of course, politically, there's no way that there's going to be someone who's going to, or even a group, well, that's probably what the UN was meant to do, mm-hmm. right? To do something like that. And we can see it doesn't have a lot of power or anything like that. It's more noise. And then I just, and this is not my idea. This has just come to so many people that we all have to start with ourselves. Mm-hmm. That if we can make the world a little bit better place for ourselves by being kinder to others. So that's a small circle, just the world that I'm in, that that can grow, you know. And that that can make a difference. And I think that, yeah, that that's, that's as human beings, maybe that's our job. Mm. Like you know? that old cliche, charity starts at home. Charity starts at home, you know, and, and that's true. And But home is Home is in our side of ourselves, yeah. Yeah. Our yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the first yeah. home, and then everything else is external. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then we have to figure out how to do it. You know, and be willing to fail, not succeed, be dissatisfied, and learn to, 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 like you use the word navigate in the beginning. I love that word. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's really navigating. It's like, how do you get from here to there? If you're on a boat, you know, you have to know how to navigate. You go through a storm. You go through a plot where there's no wind, right? And you're just stuck there. And, and it's kind of like that's, our lives are like that. And that we have to, Keep having that orient to navigate. You need a north star, so to keep having a point that we can orient towards to continue guiding us, even when we feel like we're lost. You know, if it's a clouded sky and there's there's no north star, you just wait, be mm-hmm. patient, see what happens. So, yep, that's 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 my job. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I wrote the book. That's why I'm talking to you. That's what, that's what that's what makes me a little happier too. Uh, uh, this, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. This was a fantastic interview. Thanks for coming. Oh, around. thanks, thanks. It was really thanks. good. It's been yeah. a great pleasure talking with you too. I loved your questions thanks. and everything. It's great. Um, so before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Okay, so. The website for the book is www.practicing-kindness.com. And there you can find the book. And then if you Google my name, of course, you'll find I I have other websites for other things too, but that's the one for the book. And there you can download, uh, there's a worksheet that goes along with the book. Mm -hmm. You can download a sample of that to get an understanding of that. And uh, yeah. That's the best place. All right. Well, I'll put a link to that in the notes of this episode. And Thank again, you. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. And just hang on for a moment while I play the outro. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. 
You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio. Recording stopped.